0: We've been looking at the church, and uh, all of us have at some point in our life been involved in a church to some extent. Uh, Some of us would say that we've been involved in multiple churches. Some of us would say maybe this is the only church we've ever been involved in, but yet church is a word that it causes us um, many times very great memories, but it can also cause us very painful memories. And, um, and everybody has an opinion about church, what they think, what they like, what they don't like, what they wish they had, what the church is, what it's supposed to be doing, and put all the other stuff aside. And so this study has literally just been scripture. What does the Bible say? What does God promise to do? Um, a good, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church. Um, is the most important thing that you will ever be a part of outside of your family. You say, well, Jake, my job, my hobbies, I really do believe that instead of moving for a job, you ought to move for a church and let the Lord take care of the job. You say, well, Jake, what if that's not possible? I just firmly believe that. Because I firmly believe that being a part of a church that honors the Lord brings great blessings on a family. It brings great blessings to a marriage. It brings great blessings to children and grandchildren. And so we started uh, this study a couple weeks ago, and we looked at whose church is it? Who builds the church? Uh, how do we handle problems in the church? Uh, what does the church look like when it's working as it should? How does God keep the church on track? Last week, we looked at the people that God uses to serve the church. Is there people who God calls. We look at the people that God uses to teach and reach. And then we finished last week about God has a bigger picture and vision of His church than we could imagine. And tonight, I want to talk to you about God's bigger picture doesn't always fit into our plans. Uh, Most of you at some point in your life have went through something and thought, that's not how I would have done it. And usually when you look back at it, you say, wow, God definitely had that worked out before I ever even imagined. But what I want to show you tonight is that when God is at work, it doesn't always fit into our plans. And that is especially true about church. But yet church is really probably one of the one areas that we do not want things to change. Whether you like the current state of things, or you like the way things used to be, change is something that's very hard. It's very hard at church. That's why there is a joke about assigned seats at church, right? That literally, this is your seat, and even if you have to move a row forward or back, you like to stay in that beginning, that same spot. Some of you like that spot because, one, it's not as cold as other spots. Or maybe it's hot or, or it's colder than other spots. Some of you like to sit in the back. Some of you like to sit in the front. Uh, There's multiple things. Some of you, that's why we always tell people when they come to church for the first time that they ought to try out multiple Sunday school classes. You need to to visit them. Don't just fall into one and think, I'm trapped here. I can't try another one. But tonight I want to talk to you about the results of doing this God's way before the why. And uh, if you have these notes, um, uh, they're not gonna, it's not going to be on yours tonight, but it is on mine. And I want to just uh, share this with you because I want you to hear what God can do if we will do. And in Acts chapter 16, you're welcome to find that with me tonight. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15. But in Acts chapter 16, and we're just going through the verses of the church in our Baptist faith, the message. In Acts chapter 16, verse 5, the Bible says these words, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. As I have prayed for our church, this has become a verse that I have tried to really focus in and pray on. Can you imagine what it would look like if God began to strengthen our faith, if we begin to believe the promises of God, if we begin to live out the promises of God, and if people were being saved daily. I I can't even imagine that. I mean, we baptize more people than 960 Baptist churches at a minimum every year. Um, over 500 Baptist churches in Illinois baptize nobody every year. Nobody. Most of them haven't baptized somebody in years. And so to always usually be in the top 10, top 11, sometimes top 5, we think that we see a lot of it. But can you imagine not if you saw baptisms once a month, but if you literally were seeing people saved every day? I can't imagine that. But you know what? I would love to be a part of it. I would love to be a part of that. I don't know what we would do with all of them or how we would handle all of them, but we looked at that last week. And so if we see here in Acts chapter 16, verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily, what came before that? What happened to put these things in place? Well, the church was being the church. And so in Acts chapter 15, we see that God's plans and God's purposes don't always fit into our mindset. And so I want to take us through this chapter, the first 30 verses tonight, and really just dive in to what makes the difference. What separates the church that God is using and the multiple buildings that sit empty? And so we see here in Acts chapter 15, the very first thing I want to show you, and if if you want to take sub-notes, you can, is we see the problem. There's a problem in the church. You say, well, Jake, that doesn't make any sense. The church is brand new and and God's been at work and, and all these things are great and wonderful and awesome and amazing. There are always problems in the church. You don't always see them. You don't always know about them. You don't always hear them but I can promise you every day of the year there is someone who calls 10 Mile Home that is not happy about something. You say every single day? Absolutely. How many even take one more, one, more than one day to get over being angry? Anybody hold on to it for a few days at least? I do. And so you can get mad on Wednesday and still be mad on Sunday. Someone else gets mad on Sunday and then by Wednesday, guess what? Someone else is mad. You say, Jake, you really don't believe that. I absolutely do. And if they don't come here all the time, they've watched something on the internet and they've said, can you believe Jake said that? But friends, I want you to know that the church will always have problems. There will never come a time when 10 Mile will get to a point and someone says, well, my golly, look at that. Not a problem in the world. I had someone stop me Sunday who had been hurt and was upset. And for once it wasn't me, but it still did not diminish the fact that this person was in tears. You say, Jake, I can't believe that. I'd have never guessed it. It's every week. And so you have two options tonight. You can say, I'm giving up on church. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to be involved in church. I'm not going to sacrifice and serve. And friends, what you are doing is letting Satan keep you from being who God wants you to be. And so let's look here in verses 1 through 3. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all of the brethren. Now, I don't want you to miss this here because we see that a group of people have showed up saying, you cannot be saved just by believing in Jesus. These would have been people who came from a Jewish background. And can you imagine this? From the very beginning of the book of Genesis, when God begins a relationship with Abraham, and all the way to Moses, when God begins a covenant, and throughout the entire Old Testament, you read the Old Testament law. You do this, you don't do this. You can eat this, you can't eat this. You can you can, you can stay in the city for this many days, and for a week you got to stay. I mean, all of this goes on. And then Jesus comes, dies, raises from the dead... Thousands of people are being saved and all these people who have no idea of what they believed or what they had done or how they had sacrificed or what they couldn't eat or what they couldn't shave or what they couldn't cut are being welcomed into the church with none of that. And what is happening is it's the same thing if you've ever read about the story of the prodigal son. The older brother was not happy. Right, because he had stayed and he had served and he had been miserable, but yet the other son was welcomed home. And so these Jews who have given all their life to obeying and to following and to doing are like, this ain't going to work. You can't just jump right in. But think about what had been told to the Gentiles. You could be a part of God's family even though you've never been a part of it. You are, have the same blessings the same privileges, the same rights, the same opportunities, even though you know nothing. I mean, you've never been taught the book of Deuteronomy, but yet the book of Deuteronomy says, teach the word of the Lord to your children, right? And so a lot of this is jealousy, a lot of it's bitterness, a lot of it is self-righteousness. And so they come and begin to tell all of these people who are born again, new believers, this ain't how it works. You can't just come and believe and be saved. And Paul and Barnabas did what most Christians refused to do. They took a stand. And I'm going to say this tonight, and it might not be pleasing, but it is true. Most Christians, even those who love God and serve God and follow God and are some of the best church members I have ever seen, when friction comes, I want no part of it. I want no part of it. And friends, no Christian should look for a fight. No Christian should seek difficulties. But friends, when things come into the church or people come into the church who seek to harm it, someone has to take a stand. You say, that's why we pay you the big bucks, Jake. You can take a stand. You're absolutely right. But you notice here, it was Paul and Barnabas. I don't know if you know this or not, but getting beat up is a whole lot easier when someone's fighting with you. It's a terrible feeling to feel alone. And so what happens here, Paul and Barnabas begin to discuss with them, debate with them, to say, no, it's Jesus. It is by grace you are saved, right? It's not about the law. It's not about all of this. Well, what happens is the people who are witnessing this say, well, we've got to find out what the right answer is. I mean, these are people who would have probably loved both groups. They would have respected this group that had came and taught. Paul and Barnabas, they respected and loved them. And so they tell them that they need to go to Jerusalem, talk to Peter and James and all of these men who were with Jesus. I mean, these are the people who would know. They walked with Him and talked with Him. They they were there when He rose from the dead. They were there in the upper room. They would have known what God wanted for them. But I want you to see here in verse 3 something amazing. No matter how difficult church gets, no matter how hard it gets, there is something that should keep causing joy in us. And look what it is there in verse 3. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. People being saved should excite you. And I don't mean someone gets up says they're saved and four people say amen and then the pastor has to say, what? Amen. No. There should be joy in our church when God saves sinners. And friends, I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes we're not very joyful. But there ought to be joy unspeakable. You say, that's why I don't ram in. It's unspeakable. That's not what it means. <laughs> Some of you take that verse literally. I'm not speaking it. I've got joy, 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 but I'm not speaking it. But friends, as a church, when, when we hear of kids saved in vacation Bible school, when we hear kids saved at church camp, when we hear people saved after a Sunday morning service, when we hear a mission team leading people to Christ, when we get updates from our mission partners that God is at work, there should be joy. And if you want to know the number one thing that will really begin to change this church and to to refocus this church is for just a few people to get happy when people are saved. You don't have to get happy over a good sermon. You're saying, well, that's good because we're still waiting. You don't have to get happy about high attendance Sundays. You don't have to get happy about building programs. You can be unhappy with all of that stuff. But if people being saved does not cause joy, friends, you're either lost or you have grown so cold to the things of God that the Spirit of God, you've quenched Him. And so I just really want you to see this. Because Paul and Barnabas could have went from town to town saying, you know those group of people that just tried to mess everything up, right? Can you believe what those guys tried to do? Let me tell you our side of the story. That's not what Paul and Barnabas did. Paul and Barnabas just kept on talking about Jesus and what he could do in people's lives. And Christians, if you want to make a difference in church, you can't be bogged down by the stuff. You can't be bogged down by who comes and who leaves. You can't be bogged down by who's here and who not, who, who's involved or who's not. You just need to focus on Jesus and what He's doing in the lives of people. But there's never going to be a time when there's not a problem in the church. Thoughts? Questions? Okay. So the second thing about God's plans don't always fit into ours is people. If you have ever been surprised by someone and what they've done, uh, I would say all of us have been there. You say, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that person did that. Sometimes it's on the positive, right? I never thought they'd amount to much. I cannot begin to tell you how many times after I got called to pastor or begin to minister, people would say, I did not see that coming. And I'm like, you ain't the only one to see that coming. People I worked with that years later would come up and say, weren't you at the spot tavern with us? Yes. Yes, I was. But friends, look what it says here involving the people starting in verse 4, 5, and 6. And when they had come to Jerusalem, They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. I want to show you the difference in these two passages. In the first passage... It was just a group of men. These would have been a group of people who were false believers. They were false teachers. They did not care about Jesus or the church. But in verse 5, don't miss what it says, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up. Tonight I want you to know there's two groups of people that cause problems in the church. There are people who are lost who do not want to be involved in church, they have ulterior motives. But there are other people who are believers that can be led astray. This group of the Pharisees was led astray by their previous experiences, by their previous beliefs. They loved God. They loved the church. They were committed to the church. But yet, when the opportunity arose, they had a blind spot. And tonight I want you to know that all of us can have a blind spot. All of us can make something in the church more important than it is. All of us can have a belief that maybe isn't what someone else believes, but it becomes the most important. And in this passage of Scripture, we see that the church had a structure. Now, I know a lot of people say that you can have a faith without church, and I believe that. I believe you can be born again and go to heaven um, and... uh, and not be a member of a church. But I have a hard time feeling and believing that the Bible teaches that you can be born again, living for the Lord, be right with the Lord, and not be involved in a church. Why? Because what we see here is a pattern. When problems arose, when difficult decisions need to be made, no one person made them by themselves. And I don't want you to miss this tonight, because churches are never about one person. Most churches that grow become celebrity churches. You don't know the church name, but you know the pastor's name. David Jeremiah. right? His name's even on a study Bible, which I don't like people's names on study Bibles. What is the name of David Jeremiah's church? If you know, just slip up your hand. Don't, don't say it! Don't say it! Just slip up your hand. If you, would, I, I, if you know his church's name, just slip up your hand. One... Two? A couple? How many of you ever heard of David Jeremiah? Okay. Uh, what is the name of the church that Adrian Rogers pastored? If you know that, slip up your hand. Yeah, I know, I too. But most of you have heard about Adrian Rogers. Why? Because the pastors become the celebrities. Even if they don't mean to, even if they don't want to, even if that's not their goal, that happens. But a church is not to be built that way. It is to be made up of the people. It is to be made up of the leaders that God raises up. Why? Because no one person should be trusted with power. It's just the way it is, whether it's at home, whether it's at work or whether it's at church. And so what we see here is, is that people are involved. People are committed. People are willing to wade into the tough areas because why? Do you remember what we read in Acts chapter 16? So that the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. What would have happened, do you think, if Paul and Barnabas would have said, you know what, those guys are teaching you can be saved a different way, but I'm a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? I'm not getting involved. That church would have been led astray. There would have been people that would have believed that you could be saved another way. What if when they came to Jerusalem and the Pharisees stood up and said, hey, you've got to do these things to be right with God? And everybody said, you know what? That's the right idea. You see, churches are led astray when Bible-believing Christians will not do what God has asked them to do. And you say, okay, Jake, there's a problem and there are people. Thoughts, questions. Questions. What is the answer? The preaching. The third thing I want to show you tonight, the problem, the people, and the preaching. You say, what's the answer to the problems in the church? What's the problem that people are involved in? What's the answer? Preaching. I got an article this week from one of the most um, famous pastors right now in Canada on leadership, everything he does. It's podcasts, it's podcasts, podcasts, and you see him at the Southern Baptist Convention. You see him at the Elmore Baptist. And he put out a thing that says pastors must stop preaching. They must start communicating. That means that you need to talk to your people. You need to engage with your people. But the old-fashioned standing up preaching is dead. Well, I would like to show you what Peter does here. And when there had been much dispute... That means they're just hashing it out. This side of the room says you gotta be baptized, you gotta be circumcised, you can't eat bacon, right? This side of the over here is saying, no, you just gotta believe in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and turn from them and it's back and forth. And look what it says there. When there had been much dispute, it's like a business meeting, back and forth, they're talking, they're discussing, they're, they're doing all these things, Peter rose up. I don't know if you know this or not, but we pray for this a lot. That God would raise up leaders. That He'd raise up pastors. That He'd raise up. And it's interesting, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, Acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Now I want to just stop right there because Peter stands up and preaches. It's not a discussion. It's not a debate. He just stands up and say, this is what God has done. And this is what God has said. And this is the direction that God wants us to go. I don't want you to miss this because he even tells them that why are you trying to put a yoke on people that we couldn't do? He's referencing back to the Old Testament. He says, we didn't keep God's law. It was was bondage for us because we could not keep it. And now you're wanting to put the one thing that Jesus came to fulfill onto them. Verse 12, I feel like he must have been teaching to the Wednesday night Bible study crowd. Then all the multitude kept silent. (laughs) But anyway... And listen to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. I don't want you to miss this because what we see is the preaching of God's word, because what does it become? It becomes the scriptures, but it is also reaffirmed by the power of God. You see, what you see many times is churches that all want the power, right? They want the miracles. They want the 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 stuff that looks flashy and it looks amazing and the the Word doesn't matter. But in other churches, it's all about the Word, but yet they don't believe the power. They're cold and they're dead and they're dry. What we see here is a beautiful picture of what church should be. It should be the preaching of God's Word. It should be the teaching of God's Word. But the power of God should be evident and celebrated. Celebrated. What are they Celebrating. People are being saved. You want to know why we believe that God was at work? Because people were being saved. Lives were being changed. You say, Jake, what is the problem here if either one of these is off base? If the Word's not being preached or the power of God is not being celebrated, then the scale tips one way or the other. Right? A church that doesn't want the Word but only wants the Spirit will blow up. A church that only talks about the Word but doesn't believe the power and Spirit of God will dry up. It is a healthy balance that the power of God must always be based upon the Word of God. And if a church can do those two things, look what it goes on and says. In verse 13, and after they had become silent, I don't know, you know, anyway, James answered, so... The half-brother of our Lord stands up, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for His name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree. Back to the Scriptures. It's about the Scriptures. Just as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all His works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God." but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogue every Sabbath. I don't want you to miss what I've already said. If it was just Peter, there's probably people who thought if Peter said it, I believe it. If you remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about that, right? Some follow this one. Some follow that one. Some follow this one. James is reaffirming what Peter says, not that we're following Peter. He doesn't just worry about the miracles. He quotes the Scriptures. That in the Old Testament, God said He was going to reach every people group. It wasn't going to be just about the Jews. This is not something that's made up. Not something that is that has been invented. This is... Scripture, and that's very important tonight. You say, well, why do they give them these instructions here? Well, one, the Bible always tells us to flee from sexual immorality. The Bible always tells us that we should abstain from idols. And you say, but yet, but later on in the passage of scriptures in the New Testament, Paul writes that, you know, don't worry about things given to idols because idols are not real, right? There there are no other gods, but you have to understand something. This is not a place where the church has existed for 200 years. They are growing in baby steps. We now know that what? You can eat any food if you pray and give thanks for it. We know that you are to flee from sexual immorality, from things stank, strangled, and from blood. These are dietary restrictions. They weren't telling them that they could not be saved by doing these things. What they were saying is the same things we've seen in the book of Acts. Do you remember when there was a group of widows who were being neglected? And the men that they found were all the same as them, right? Hellenistic Jews. They, they, they went and got a group of people to, to minister to them that were the same way. You say, well, that's catering. No, it's not catering. It's being all things to all people. And what the disciples are doing here is the same thing. You know what? There's nothing else that you need to be saved. But there is nothing wrong with observing some of these things that your brother thinks is sin. Right? We know that because Paul says the same thing. Right? If it causes your brother to sin, it causes your brother to stumble, just stay away from it. But yet you can eat what you want. And so we see here that the apostles are handling through this problem with grace, with sensitivity. It's not, well, this is what it says, this is the way I believe, and this is the way it's going to be. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, the Bible says it, I believe it. And I agree with that. But friends, the Bible says a whole lot of things that if you don't read and study in its proper context, you're going to start a cult. Ain't nobody want to be a part of a cult in here tonight, all right? Been accused of being a cult leader, but I like to think I'm not. And so tonight you have to understand that the Scriptures are our foundation. No mistakes, no errors. Nothing in it that is contrary to what God wants for us. But you need to study it. You can't just pick out a verse here and pick out a verse there and use this and use that. Because friends, it will lead you astray. But look what it says in verse 22 and then I'm going to close. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely... Judas, different Judas, as you know, who was also named Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And then they write in this last part here, and I'm not going to read it all, what they've already talked about, what they've already decided. And this is very important tonight, and I don't want you to miss this. They could not go out until they had dealt with the problems within. They couldn't make converts if they weren't agreeing on what a convert was. And because of Paul and Barnabas being willing to take a stand, because Peter and James were willing to preach, that solved all the problems. No, it didn't. Do you notice what solved all the problems? When the church agreed. When the church was unified. When the church says we've heard from God, we've heard from God's Word, We've seen the power of God. and We believe. Friends, there are churches that are good, godly churches and have pastors that have no business being there. And there are some wonderful, godly men in pulpits that have terrible churches. And I don't mean terrible as the sense that they're not valuable, but there's just a lot of stuff that shouldn't be there. But if you really want to see God at work, you've got to put... Both together. Two churches, or one church, excuse me, and pastor. Leaders, deacons in a church. It's not one or the other. How many of you have ever seen a parent dragging their child? I don't mean like an abuse, right? I mean like your kid doesn't want to leave the toy aisle at Walmart and you grab them, you're like, we're leaving right now. Sometimes that's what it feels like to parent. And sometimes that's what it feels like to lead a church. Sometimes that's what it feels like for a church to be dragging their pastor along. And tonight I want you to hear this as simple and as honest as I can show you from the word. It takes two. It takes two. It takes two in a marriage to give life. It takes two to have a marriage. And in a church where it represents Christ and his bride, it takes two. But you've got to be focused on the main thing of salvation. What it can do. How it can change lives. And my prayer is that it would be said about this church. What Acts chapter 16 said. So the churches, or in our case, church, were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. You say, Jake, do you really believe that people could be saved every single day? I don't know. To be honest with you, I tell myself I think God could do it. I want God to do it, but what I've realized is a whole lot more of you are going to have to start talking about Jesus every day if you want people to be saved every day. Because I'm not going all over Southern Indiana fixing dents in cars like Jeremy is. I'm I'm not I'm not retired going to places like some of yous are. I'm not going here. I'm not going there. I see Bradley at the golf course every day. I'm I'm not there every day, but I'm there most days, right? I'm not going here. I'm not going there. But as we go, and the people we come into contact with and the relationships that we build should always be built with this mindset that at some point I want to share the gospel with you. I want to tell you about Jesus. And that's the way we live always looking for an opportunity. And when God's people can do that, I think I believe that He could save people every single